You shouldn't cheat on your spouse, even if there are loopholes. You also shouldn't sell guns to weird militia members who plan to use them in a prison break. Our boys are learning a lot in this episode. Hi, and welcome to Belated Binge Sons of Anarchy, the re-binge podcast that doesn't take itself or the show too seriously. I'm Zach, your host, revisiting some of the most iconic series in recent memory that I nearly missed out on like Sons of Anarchy, which I didn't watch until like four years after the last episode aired on TV. And now, I watch it like every year, except for this past year, which I was saving for this podcast. Today, we continue our binge of Season 1 with Episode 6, AK-51. Shit is getting real on this show. There's guns and bullets and explosions, prison breaks and menopause... No, that's not a typo in my notes. Gemma hits a girl in the face with a skateboard. Clay gets arrested. Gemma gets arrested. Cone is beginning to spiral. And our boy Jax has the bright idea to hide their guns in sewage. The Belated Binge Podcast. Before we get into it, there will be spoilers. This series wrapped up in 2014. There will also be adult language and situations, especially with this show. Trigger warnings aplenty. Use earbuds as needed. Shout out to Alex and Katie, the bonus binge squad, for your own shout outs and access to bonus episodes like the Behind the Mic series that I've been posting pretty regularly, where I do spur of the moment bonus episodes during my everyday life. You can get access via Patreon at patreon.com slash binge. There's a link in the show notes for this episode. As usual with Sons of Anarchy, I'm going to kick this thing off trying to introduce the episode as if it was a romantic movie or a rom-com. Gemma and Clay have been through a lot over the years. Many years. Their marriage has stood the test of time so far. Will the natural course of life and an out-of-town fling push them apart? Or will a jail cell heart-to-heart bring them closer together? Let's jump into episode 6, AK-51. We open on target practice for some white guys that appear to be militia. It turns out to be an arms deal that Jackson Piney are doing for some of their AKs. Hence the episode title. The old guy is a friend of Piney's. The young guy is full of himself. And apparently the old guy's son or something. He tries to undercut the agreed to purchase price. And in general, I would recommend against this tactic, particularly in illegal firearms transactions, or really any transactions for that matter. I can't walk into McDonald's, order a Big Mac, pay $1.39 and justify myself by saying, I know I can get a sandwich at Burger King for that much. I sure as hell wouldn't try it with a 1% biker club when buying their guns. That's how you get added to that particular gun's body count. Of course, Jax only needs to glance in the envelope to see it's only half of what they agreed to and calls the guy on his shit right away. Piney steps in with the old man who's apparently taking his orders from the young guy. I don't know why. He pays up and we're on our way. Should be smooth sailing from here. At least that's what I would expect, wouldn't you? Now we cut to Gemma and Clay, and they're getting it on. Awkwardly. It appears to not be going particularly well. Clay mentions, how do I... (laughs) This is a tough topic for me to just talk about, even if it is just me alone in my basement, but it's an odd topic for me. But this is the way that I've chosen to go about it. Clay mentions adding some natural lubricant to this situation, which isn't taken as the helpful suggestion that he intended. As evidenced by Gemma locking herself in the bathroom, it appears they won't be continuing these particular extracurricular activities for the time being. And now we're on to Bobby in the bathroom, and the toilet starts flooding. His natural reaction is to call for half-sack, which is the glorious life of a prospect, I can only imagine. 
I've never been a prospect. But it can't be that fun. Bobby reveals that someone has been flushing women's underwear down the toilet. I don't know why someone would do such a thing in real life, but because I listened to Reaper reviews, I actually know something about this particular scene. Apparently, Theo Rossi, who plays Juice, shot a scene where he had a panty fetish and was having a private moment in said bathroom when like someone yelled for him or came to find him or whatever he was uh interrupted uh by a scare and tried to like flush them down the toilet to hide the evidence that was apparently cut from the episode because they thought it might be too creepy they might have thought right because that's odd but keeping in the whole like them being there in the first place is also odd you know what my new theory is this was Ginny Weasley. And this is why she thought that she could flush Tom Riddle's diary down the toilet in Chamber of Secrets. That must be the case. If you're only here for Sons of Anarchy and you have no idea what I'm talking about because you didn't read Harry Potter, I'm going to move on right now for you. Outside, Clay and Jax are talking about this exchange that just went down with the militia members. And Jax tells them, Things should be all good. And there's another shipment showing up as well. And Clay checks in on Gemma just to kind of make sure they're good after the morning's... Let's call it just a debacle. Halfsack enters the chat. Uh, he asks for the number to fix the septic issue and compliments Gemma. You'd think he would know better than this by now, Right? Clay's already made it very clear to him not to say shit about Gemma. He slept with a girl who Halfsack was into as retribution, and now Halfsack is saying something to Gemma. Is he angry? Is he nervous? Or is he just stupid? <laughs> he does seem pretty proud of himself when he's walking away, just as that girl he was into shows up in a truck with juice. Clay is not happy about it, and Gemma sees everything from the window. We've already established in this season that Gemma has, like, amazing eyesight and can completely just deduce anything that is happening in front of her without hearing it or anything. She just sees it from a distance and all of a sudden just knows all because she's Gemma. And, yeah, there seems to be a rule that has been violated here. And we learn more about it later in the episode, but even Jax smacks Juice in the head about it. It seems obvious, though. Like, if your president has an affair with a pass-around in another charter, you aren't supposed to bring the girl back to your own clubhouse where the president's old lady is. That's not just a club thing. I mean, it's that is communicated in a club way, but that's like bro code and whatnot. This is life shit. I imagine there's a version of this within all friend groups, regardless of gender or affiliation or anything. You don't put your friend in a compromised situation as it relates to their relationship and potential transgressions. Now, just to be clear, I'm not condoning infidelity over here. But Juice should know better than to do this. And this girl also has a bit more attitude and confidence about it than I think would be realistic in this type of situation, if I can just say that. But that's the Sons of Anarchy formula. Mix in strong female characters and representation within the toxic masculinity culture. By the way... There's something for everyone in this show eventually. We'll even get to transgender representation in a later season. So if you're listening to this and watching these episodes and you're going, oh my gosh, this is just toxic male bleh on TV. I pro We run the gamut on this show. Just so you know. For now, Juice is trying to get rid of the girl. She takes one look at Half Sack who walks away, and apparently 
she's ready to leave again. You travel across state lines against the wishes of a patch president just to turn around and walk away without even talking to the dude you came here for? Something about that just does not seem logical to me. But we can't dwell on it because Gemma has cornered Halfsack. She's put two and two together already, not just with Clay, but she also noticed that Halfsack was into the girl and also clocked that Clay slept with said girl. As I mentioned before, she's pretty observant, especially from just a glance out the window. But we needed the drama. Halfsack calls her a tribe hangaround and doesn't do a very good job of convincing Gemma that Clay didn't sleep with her. And for half a second, I can remember the first time watching this thinking she was about to nail Halfsack just right then and there as payback. I legitimately thought that's what was happening. When she kind of gave him that that look, that kind of knowing look, and she walked over to the chair and just like sat down. In my mind, the first time I watched this show, I thought she was going to say, all right, get over here. She did not. She said, get out of here, or something to that effect. And then she, you know, has her moment of tears. And this ends up being a weird plot line for the episode, but definitely a very entertaining plotline for the episode. Uh, for right now, we've got a cavalry scene, a van escorted by police cars. It's a prison transfer, apparently, and this does not go according to plan. Anyone's plan. <laughs> well, well, almost anyone. The old guy from the arms deal distracts the cops in the back, we recognize the cop that he's talking to. It's the dirty sheriff that's on the club's payroll. Small world. The old guy pulls a gun. Guys in masks and AKs open the van. Cops make a move. One of the cops is killed by the AKs. The guys get away with the prisoner and a whole lot of damage. Multiple dead people. It is a mess. A mess. And so much for that smooth sailing episode we thought we were going to have. So now we're at the table, and we're getting an update from Chibs. Chibs informs Clay that they're going to uh, have like a week to 10 days to get $200,000 to the IRA. If not, they lose their supply of guns. They're selling a bunch of these guns to Leroy in the one-niners, so that's a plus. And Jax gives a rundown of like the financial situation. They're a little over halfway to their goal, they think. You know, maybe they should just start a Patreon. I can tell you, it's not that easy. Half-sack interrupts and lets them know they need to come out of the... Uh, I think at some point they start calling it chapel, but they're not there yet, I don't think. I think they're just calling it the table at this moment. So they need to leave the table, <laughs> according to Halfsack, because there's law enforcement coming to visit. We meet Agent Stahl from the ATF. If that sounds familiar, it's the same alphabet soup that Agent Cone is here from. But she's here... For a real reason. <laughs> Clay is getting arrested in connection to the gun deal that Piney and Jax just did that led to the prison break that we just saw. Roll credits. These shows really get a lot of stuff going before they even get to the opening credits. Now we're back with Piney explaining why he called the guy Nate and how they traced it back to the auto shop in order to arrest Clay. Jax wants to set up a meet before the cops can find these militia guys, and Piney is just old man attituding Jax and Opie about this, and Jax has to set him straight and get him out of there before the cops connect him and Nate through their shared 
history. So now Jax is cleaning up this mess, and Bobby points out that there's another mess with the shop under surveillance. Can't deliver their guns. Not a smooth day at all. Cut to Clay. He's being interrogated by Stahl. She gives us some background on the militia. Clay astutely points out that just because a phone call was placed from his garage to one of the assailants, it doesn't make him an accessory to murder. This is after a pretty good line about the cost of his lawyer. Stahl's connecting him as a potential supplier of the guns, and we learn that Clay hasn't been charged in over seven years for any crimes. Well done, Clay. Stahl's not falling for the reformant speech, and she also isn't allowing him to call his lawyer. At least, not until she has her warrant to search his business. It's funny how the quote-unquote good guys on a show like this are actually the bad guys, and the law enforcement officers are actually right in accusing them of being bad guys, but they do it in like a sleazy or dirty way that we hate them for messing with our good bad guys. Everyone loves an anti-hero. It's kind of perfect. And Stahl is really good at it. Now we're at the, 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 the porn studio? Okay. Gemma's still pissed about the girl showing up, and Luann, who we'll later find out is Otto's old lady, the one that's in prison, isn't really fussed about it, and is actually on Clay's side here. How could he have known she'd just show up like that? Which is clearly the usual response to adultery when it affects your friend. Obviously. Gemma kind of gives us the explanation, though. Uh, Apparently, Clay is allowed to nail whoever he wants on the road, but it better not follow him home. That's her territory, I suppose? She's also going through menopause, which Luann knows a guy and can get her a prescription for. Thanks, Luann. Now... Jax is meeting up with our cop friend. He's upset about losing his partner. He knows the guns came from the club. Jax needs some help from the inside, and the cop is not stoked about helping. And is kind of questioning his whole arrangement with the club. And Jax has to set somebody else straight. Let's him know there's no walking away from this relationship. He literally tells this cop, They'll kill him. And now we're back at the station with Stahl, and she can't get her warrant. Enter Agent Cohn. He offers to help, and Stahl knows immediately that he's not there on a case and isn't supposed to be there at all. She just doesn't know why he's there. And he ignores this and shows her pictures of the Indian Hills run, which actually gives her something to work with. Now, in comes Hale, with the connection to Piney and the guy's cell phone, and the prisoner they freed. And Stahl shows her appreciation for these two men in the form of ass-grabbing. So we know she's going to be a wild card. Now we cut to the club, and Juice is not having any luck with the militia guys, but Piney comes in with our plot convenience. Apparently, the guy reached out to him. The guy whose cell phone was left at the scene. The scene of a murder. Of a cop. Civilians. And a prison break. And he just... Called Piney. Sure. And the warrant came through. I guess the cop that... uh, The cop whose name is Trammell, by the way. I honestly don't remember if we heard his name in the previous episodes. Before now. But his name is Trammell. I guess decided that he'd rather have a pulse and work with the club than stop working with the club and stop breathing. Cool. Jax sends Bobby to tell Leroy that the guns are on the way. Did I say Leroy? That sounds... Leroy Jenkins! Or something like that. No, his name is Leroy. 
I don't know why I emphasize the Lee in the Leroy. That's not how you say the name. My apologies. They're going to have... They're going to... They're going to be in a, a predicament at some point here with these guns because they can't get them out of the damn warehouse. Or not the warehouse, I guess, the, the shop. It's kind of a mess. Um, and they they have to get rid of them because once the warrant is served and the cops show up to raid said auto shop they're going to find all the guns and they're all going to prison Jax doesn't have a plan for that yet but he is pretty confident good for him this is like showing calm stoic leadership in a moment where your uh, I don't know constituents uh, your team uh, your club need you to be confident cool calm and collected and he's delivering now Gemma's filling her prescription, and the pharmacist is not subtle at all. Neither is Gemma, particularly when she sees the girl from Indian Hills walking up. Before we get to what happens, why is she still here? Wasn't Juice taking her out of there? Not Like, I assumed back to Indian Hills or something, or like, to a bus stop, but I guess not. Just away from the clubhouse? Now she's just a resident of Charming with nowhere to live, nowhere to go, no one to give a shit, and she's just walking somewhere. Okay. It really is unfortunate, though. She should have just gone back to Indian Hills, because now she gets pegged in the face with a skateboard. You didn't hear that wrong. If by some chance, somehow, some way, you're listening to this podcast without having actually watched these episodes, you just love the sound of my voice because you've heard it from something else, and this is entertaining for you, one, you're fucking amazing, and two, she got hit in the face with a skateboard, and Cherry... Her name, by the way, Cherry, I haven't mentioned that in this episode, we learned it back in the patch over episode, uh, she doesn't react in the way that I imagined someone would in this uh, situation. She does cry a little. She bleeds a lot. That part, I imagine, is normal. But her dialogue is a lot less colorful than I think this situation would warrant, in my opinion. She literally just asks, and this is a direct quote, and also delivered in a weird way, if I can say that, who are you? Why'd you do that to me? I don't plan to criticize the acting on this show very often, but this scene has always bothered me. From the first time that I watched it to every single rewatch, this scene just, it is so incredibly unbelievable. The hit with the skateboard is great. The fallout by Cherry is incredibly weak. Who are you? Why'd you do that to me? Oh, 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 no. <laughs> no, like someone just hit you in the face with a skateboard. I know she can't curse. Like she can't just scream, ah, fuck, what the fuck? Like you would. They, that wasn't allowed on FX when this show was made. Even though it's allowed now, if you are a fan of Sons of Anarchy and you've been watching The Mayans, which is the spinoff of Sons of Anarchy, if you aren't aware about The Mayans, MC, if, I mean, you probably could have put that together. But they say fuck all the time on that show. And if this show was allowed at this point in time, oh, it'd be flying around everywhere and this show, a particular scene might have come off a little bit more convincing but still probably not if she delivers it like this who are you why'd you do that to me who are you why'd you do that to me i don't know i just hate it a lot and i don't hate this actress i don't hate this character i don't hate almost anything else that is done with it on this show this scene though no. 
Gemma doesn't even try to run. She just sits down. And Jax is headed to the roof for inspiration. He's reading his dad's book. And this is clearly how he thinks. And has his Jimmy Neutron brain blast moment. Now he's got a plan. We'll see the plan play out soon. But for now, we're at the hospital. Where Agent Cone is in a creepy mental state. Just like staring at Jax's son Abel. And Tara confronts him. And he's spiraling. He tells her to go to the clubhouse to witness what he can only expect is the warrant being served. And, you know, if you want to see his future line. Cones, he's losing it. He's unraveling. Luckily, our boys are on it, though. Buyer or no buyer, Jax has a plan to get the guns out of the garage. In the septic truck. Who knew we'd be grateful for a pair of panties in the shitter and a healthy trip to the can from Bobby. Cut to the police station, and this scene is comedic fucking gold. Clay can see them bringing in Gemma. Gemma can see Clay in an interview room. The cops just tell them what happened with each other because... I guess plot. Clay starts yelling at her. She starts yelling back. And it is straight up comedy. Even Stahl's reaction to this is absolutely fantastic. And I I don't like to spend the podcast reciting quotes and lines from the episodes. So can we just take a second to just to appreciate the dialogue between Clay and Gemma in this moment and how it was clearly very edgy for the time. I just got done saying that they were more limited in what they were allowed to say on television when they were airing Sons of Anarchy than what you can say now. But also, it just... From, like, just polar opposite of the skateboard scene where I was just saying the delivery is is not convincing this delivery from both of them is so good it's not my fault and it's not my pussy it's just so believable between these two characters like this is absolutely what you would expect from both of them it's great so now Hale finds Gemma in a holding cell and gives her a cigarette because it's like 2009 <laughs> and this is something that happens indoors in 2009. Uh, she goes down memory lane with him. It's kind of cool, like in Hale's cool, he's really not all that bad. He's just kind of misguided, particularly for who our good guys are in this TV show. So now we're at TM, and SWAT is, like, throwing the guys down on the ground, cuffing them, and they're searching for guns, and they're just joking, having a great time with it. They know there's nothing for these cops to find. Tara does see it, though, and doesn't stick around to find out that everything's going to be fine. She just drives up, sees them on the ground being arrested, and drives away. And Cone is just hanging out in Jax's room, steals a picture, and just destroys the place, completely spiraling. Why is he here, by the way? <laughs> Can I ask that? Stahl made it clear that she knew he shouldn't be there, and she let him come on the raid? That kind of shit can get cases thrown out for cops. There's no way she lets that happen if the plot didn't just need him to be there to have this spiral moment in destroying of Jax's bedroom. That's that's the only explanation. Because Stahl is fully aware that she needs shit to stick. If this is going to work and she's actually going to take down the club, then 
she can't have random ATF agent out of his jurisdiction there, not on assignment, not involved with this case, fucking up everything for her. But he's here, so cool. We're not anymore, though. We've made it to the cabin. And Jax is checking on Piney and Opie at the cabin. Apparently, our militia guy wants to buy more guns. So that's the silver platter of plot convenience that we needed with these militia folks. And Jax wants to make sure that Piney is okay with what has to take place with these guys. And now we cut to Chibs and Juice and Half Sack, and it's the retrieval of the guns from the septic tank. And apparently, it doesn't smell great. <laughs> Could you believe it? Uh, the reaction, again, this is, this is pure comedy. It's, it's toilet humor uh, to the extreme, but it's, it's just so funny. And that's what these early episodes did so well. I've said it before, so I'm not going to go uh, continuing to say the same things over and over and over again in uh, uh, extended breadth and detail. But I will just say, this is why I like these early season episodes. Because they balance the seriousness with a lot of really well-timed comedy. And we do sort of lose that as the seasons progress and things get continually more dark and serious and dire, the stakes go up and the comedy comes down at a certain point. Right now, we've got that kind of perfect balance for my particular taste. Back to the station. The raid turned up like some barrels. That's it. Barrels. Which stall correctly assumes are the mode of transport. She ties it back to the IRA. And this seems like a win for them. She lets Hale know that Cone isn't supposed to be there. We knew that, but Hale didn't. And he still hasn't put two and two together, but don't worry, he'll come around eventually. And Clay stops to see Gemma, and they have a nice little heart-to-heart. She's decided she's going to stay the night in jail. Why not? Clay apologizes and makes a promise and a gesture of solidarity. And it's it really is like a nice moment for this power couple that we have on the show. And Gemma opens up about her stage in life and condition and whatnot. And, and Clay is reassuring about it. And it's, it is, like I said, a, a really nice moment between these two. You actually believe their marriage and their relationship here. Now we cut to the hospital. It's Cherry this time. Nose all bandaged up. And Halfsack came to see her. And he's there to explain the problem with the decision she made, the fallout that it could have, and he wants to make sure that she's not going to try to do anything stupid like press charges and is going to keep her mouth shut on all the guns and all of that shit to do with the club and Gemma and everything else. And... Cherry tries to explain that it's, of course, she knows how this goes and she's only there for him. He's not immediately receptive, but she's pretty convincing and he gives in pretty quick. Halfsack still thinks with the one that's, well, intact. Which you would expect. Clay comes home to the clubhouse and gets an update on the events of the day. <laughs> And some camaraderie with the boys. And Clay just puts faith in his guys and goes to bed. Which is an interesting leadership moment for Clay. Because I'll tell you this. This is not the Clay that we see as the series unfolds. Uh, Clay takes Clay takes some twists and turns. And has quite the interesting character arc and journey. Um, you know... I don't, this moment isn't the time to really dive too deep into the the journey that Clay is going to have, but I'll tell you this much, uh, because it stands out to me in this moment, I don't see season 2 Clay, season 3 Clay, 
season four, five, like none of the the uh, subsequent seasons that we're going to have with Clay, I don't see that future Clay making this decision where he just comes in the room, he sits down, he gets a little bit of a download, but he's not really paying attention. He's not concerned. He's not worried about it. He's like, fuck it. Like, you guys are just going to handle this, and it's going to be fine. He's not trying to control the situation. He's not trying to call the shots. He's not trying to pull rank. He's not trying to plot anything. He's not trying to find the the, the upper hand in anything. He's not trying to do anything like behind the scenes or behind the club's back. He's not trying to find his own gain. He's not even trying to find a gain out of the situation they're in at all. He literally just says, you know what? It's going to be fine. You are going to be fine. And I will talk to you in the morning. And he goes to bed. And it's just really, really interesting. Also interesting, we're assembling guns in the clubhouse. Remember a couple episodes ago when they absolutely couldn't do that so that the IRA got pissed off and now they owe them a bunch of money? We're doing it now to make the deal to help get the money for the IRA and clean up the militia mess. Maybe it's a good thing that Clay's not trying to make any decisions right now because so far... The decisions that Clay has made have been, well, at least related to guns, have been dog shit. <laughs> been real bad. Actually, you know what? Let's quick tally to date. How has how have Clay's decisions gone? We have had no good decisions relating to guns and how the um continual relationships surrounding the guns either on the supplier or buyer side uh, that's been all confrontational not a lot of good decisions there he made the questionable decision with the truck and so that was not that turned out okay because it got what he wanted with Unser so we'll put that in the win column and he, we haven't really seen how it's going to play out with, um, with the the Joneses, <laughs> um, with oh goodness, why the fuck can't I think of that guy's name? The rich guy from Fun Town. Um, it'll come back to me. It's fine. I can't. I can't think. I, I, for whatever reason right now, my, my mind is just blocked on going down Clay's shot chart. So we're just going to move on at this point. Let's just say decisions he's made about the guns have been shit and move on. Jax, Opie, and Piney are going are, to are doing the deal for the rest of the guns with the militia. It's the next day. And Jax doesn't really count the money this time. He kind of just knows, you know, what they're doing here. And Piney has a nice little chat with his old friend. And what he's doing here is saying goodbye. And confirming that there's no women and children in their bunker. And that's important. Because now Opie makes the bunker go boom. There goes that problem. I guess. Piney compliments how Jax took care of things with Clay away. And we ride away to see the mushroom cloud. And here's where I get derailed a little bit. It seems pretty far away, doesn't it? Like, how do we know the militia guys made it back already? Or that they were even going back? We just take it on faith that they all made it to their little camp... It exploded. They all died. Nice and clean resolution to our problem. And nobody even went to check and make sure. Imagine these dudes are just on their way back. They see the explosion in the distance and just look at each other like, Well, shit. Guess we need a new camping spot, huh? But 
we're not going to think too hard about this. One thing I do want to make note of, though, back to Piney. He made sure that there were no women and children with the militia. That's important. It's important code for this club. Because the reason we can actually root for them is that they have a code, right? Like, you can't make a show about bad guys and get everybody on their side if they're just bad guys. It's real it would be really really hard to do that. You have to give them you have to give them some kind of morality, something that people can connect with, a reason for people to like them. And one of the things with this club is they don't hurt innocent people who don't deserve it and they don't hurt women and children that are just, you know, uh connected to whoever it is that they do need to hurt for whatever reason they need to hurt them at least not right now at least that's the code that's the rule that's what they're supposed to do we'll go on an adventure with how often they actually follow said rule and what happens when they don't follow said rule but that's the rule and it's important that there is that rule now we've got a scene with Jax paying Trammel, the cop, for the information about the warrant, and he reassures the cop that the problem has been taken care of. And I guess their relationship is just hunky-dory now. So now he's headed to the hospital to see his kid. And Tara sees him and asks about the arrest, and he lets her know that there's an ATF agent that's just up their ass and has nothing but is just trying to pin shit on him and now she's scared he clocks it and she asks him for a ride home and of course he's down now Gemma's getting released from jail and Clay comes to pick her up we got some smooth dialogue and they make up just fine and curveball here comes Cherry and Gemma goes to talk to her uh, with a bit more civil this time. That's what we'll say. Uh, and Cherry takes this moment to apologize and explain why she's in Charming. Gemma and Cherry have, they've got a nice, interesting little chat. And we get a little insight on like old lady culture in this world. I've mentioned it before that this part is a little less real world accurate, I think. You know, obviously I don't know firsthand, but I in the in the little bit of knowledge that I have about real world 1% MCs, which is very very little. I just do find the culture interesting, so I do consume some things um that I pull some nuggets away from. The but the way that I interpret the information that I have consumed about 1% MCs is that this isn't really how it would go with Gemma. How involved and predominant she is in, you know, particularly with club business is not how that actually goes down. They're very traditional. I know we've talked about that before. And, you know, I don't want to just say women don't have a seat at the table, but, like, someone without a patch doesn't have a seat at the table, and she doesn't have a patch, and she's never going to have a patch, so she's not supposed to actually be plugged in to the club business. However, this part, this part is something that I imagine is fairly real-world accurate. If this scenario were to go down, Gemma wouldn't sign off on Cherry just hanging around. But for a committed relationship with one member, or in this case a prospect, Gemma giving her blessing for Cherry to be there, this feels pretty authentic to me. This feels like Gemma is the queen of the old ladies, and she would have some sort of, like, uh, I guess, position of authority, I guess, in, in that space adjacent to the club. 
And so Gemma being able to do have this back and forth with Cherry and just kind of like, you know, have this little talk, I imagine that is actually is actually fairly, you know, like I said, real world accurate or at least believable in in the dialogue and in the writing, um, which is also something that I think I think is why this show went over so well. Now, I will tell you, as somebody that does ride a motorcycle and is a part of, you know, different different forms of motorcycle culture, um, there is a there is a subset of motorcycle riders that flat out refused to watch this show. Um, they see it as, you know, a glorification of 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 a fictional unrealistic depiction of bikers that they see as actually harmful to who they actually are and how they're represented in like regular society because there is a I will tell you there is a stigma that comes with riding a motorcycle particularly a v-twin harley like this club does and many clubs do like there's it's not just like it's not always welcomed in regular real world society you get a lot of side eyes when you you know hop off of a motorcycle you know in your leather jacket and you walk into a place that's just full of regular you know civilian people you get some people looking at you shitty and you also get you know attitude type stuff and you know that's just a dirty biker kind of stuff uh, and and there's definitely there are definitely motorcyclists who see this show as not helpful for that. However, there is also a large portion of motorcycle riders that absolutely loved this show and embraced this show and its um, its representation for the culture, which is not very uh, very prevalent in media at all. Like there's there's not a ton, there's some like autobiographical books about like MC culture and stuff like that. Uh, I can think of a few that are out there that are like, you know, uh, famous infiltrations by law enforcement into one percent MCs, which um, you know, one was even depicted into a couple seasons of a um, of a of a gangland TV show. Uh, it was really interesting when I watched it. I actually intend to read the books. Um, I just haven't yet because I don't really read aside from Harry Potter, you know, the podcast, but, um, but the, like that's, there's some of that out there, but there's not a lot of like TV shows or movies that are like about, you know, MCs and bikers in this way. So uh, a lot of people did, a lot of people did embrace it. And I think one of the reasons that it got that like embrace from, a large portion of the motorcycle community is that Kurt Sutter does seem to have really done his research on how MCs do operate. Uh, for the most part, I think he does a good job of being at least a an acceptable representation of how MCs work in a dramatized fictional form, if that makes sense. Like, obviously, MCs aren't going around just killing people all willy-nilly all the time and leaving all the evidence, and, like, you know, the stuff that goes down on this show is clearly, like, this is super obvious, and all of these people would be arrested in five minutes and there wouldn't be a show anymore <laughs> uh, if this wasn't a fictionalized world that it's uh, that it's operating in. However the club itself and how the how the members interact and the the different um the different forms of office within the club and um the the accurate uh at least to my knowledge representation of those different you know officer levels that they have uh the meaning of the different patches that aren't fictionalized uh the just the way that you know even even some of the terminologies the you know a lot of the um you know the prospects and the hangarounds and that kind of stuff and that process what that sort of how that stuff you know is is believed to work within MCs is pretty much how it works on this fictional show 
for the most part, you know what I mean? Like, well enough that somebody who is actually in an MC and watches the show, there's going to be some, I'm sure, that are like, that's bullshit. But I think for the most part, they're like, I appreciate that you tried to make this a believable um, representation, and I think that went a long way to the show's success in the actual motorcycle community. I don't think you cared about any of that. I just sort of went on a rant. Um, anyways, <laughs> back to Gemma. She still threatens Cherry to stay off of Clay and to not be a smartass, but that's a cool little scene anyways. And Clay also isn't getting a threesome out of the deal. Which is... Okay. Sorry, Clay. But, like, also, it's a well-timed joke. Did I mention... Good humor. Good humor in this episode. Our ending is also pretty cool. It looks really cool, and I think it's very, like... I think it's very purposeful in the way that it's shot and edited together. It's just a really... It's just a really cool, like... It's just a really cool little montage sort of thing. Clay's taking Gemma home on his bike, paralleled with Jax taking Tara home on his bike... Continuing the old lady theme, and we've also got the, you know, the the different generations, you know, kind of uh, working alongside each other at this moment. But we know that there's also some friction between the generations, so it's cool seeing them, you know, paralleled this way. And then we we also have Agent Cone who's following Jacks way too close. <laughs> he's either too deep in his emotional spiral to like pay attention to what he's doing. Maybe he's a horrible cop, or perhaps the director of the episode just felt it had to be super obvious for, or like, you know, pacing or whatever to have him pull out, literally just like riding Jax's ass like that, which is probably a fan fiction, if you're into that sort of, sort of thing. Okay, that's it. What an episode, right? This is a really weird Agent Cone episode. Uh, it's like he went from a bit delusional but thinking he was in control to complete spiral and out of control in the course of, like, one episode. Uh, And it's also an interesting one for Tara. Uh, She's starting to get more and more nervous about Cone and is leaning into the comfort of Jax in a way that she hasn't to this point. Um, So it's... It's not... (laughs) It's not a not real spoilery to say that we're headed somewhere here with this uh, with this trajectory that we're on with these three. Um, there's a lot of really there's a lot of relationship stuff in this episode. You know, we get we get a more emotional Gemma, we get a softer side of Clay. The cherry half sack pairing is coming together, and ironically, the one couple that we've been getting a lot from so far in the show has been. Opie and Donna, and we got none of that. Opie's barely even in this episode. He's mostly just emotional support for his dad, Piney, and for his boy, Jax. Although, don't think I didn't clock him in his full jacket under the cut on a hot-as-balls California day. Ugh. And I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up the intro to Stall here. She's a really good antagonist to the club on this show. She's like the perfect character for us to hate. She's confident, powerful, and sleazy. So while in her position, she really is the good guy here. And she goes about it in a shitty enough way to easily root against her. And I'm not going to spoil the outcome totally, but she's only getting started. We're going to get... A lot of hating this woman. For those on the Harry Potter binge, I'm not going to say Umbridge, but basically, yeah, she's Sons of Anarchy's Umbridge in a lot of ways. And we're only like, we're like halfway into the first season now, and we're starting to see some characters develop a little bit. So far, it's been a lot of self-contained episodes that do a lot of world and club building, a lot of setup, and you obviously need that at the beginning of a series, otherwise, like, you're not going anywhere. (laughs) But we're starting to have more to dissect about these characters. 
and not just the sequence of events taking place. So that, I imagine, is going to be really fun for the podcast as we go along. It's also getting harder to not spoil as we start diving into these characters a little more. So at this point, I'd like to put a call out to my audience. I want to know if you're on a rewatch and you want more spoilers, if that means more character discussions, or if you're watching for the first time and you want to be as surprised as possible. See, I'm honestly inclined to treat this more like my Harry Potter binge where it's all spoilers all the time and we are diving deep on the impact of decisions that are being made by the characters and their motivations all the way from chapter one. So if that sounds like a plan to you, let me know. But if by chance most of you are here from you know listening to that Harry Potter binge and this might be your first time watching the Sons of Anarchy show... I don't want to ruin the whole damn thing for you if you don't want it to be ruined. Now, I do say at the top, there will be spoilers, and there will. I'm sure I'm going to start opening up the curtain more and more, kind of um, naturally, as the pod progresses, now that we've hit this point, because like I said, things things are starting to take shape for the future, and for these characters, and for their arcs to build upon. And I can only see me going a little bit further and further into that, but I kind of would really love to know from you a little bit of a gut check on how far I should be able to go there without kind of turning off the audience. Um, Because, spoiler, I'm doing this for you. (laughs) That's literally why I'm sitting in a corner of my basement surrounded by soundproofing foam and talking into a microphone by myself. It's to entertain you. So my hope is that I do so in a way that is valuable and enjoyable and entertaining to you. So please let me know how you feel about the level of spoiler-ish and how far it should go. I'll probably I'll probably put some you know some polls on social media or something. You can also um you know, use the voicemail uh, feature on my website to let me know that the Facebook group that's free to join to talk with other uh, listeners of the show. Uh, I'll take I'll take your thoughts literally any way that you want to send them to me. Use the you can send me an email belatedbinge at gmail dot com. Whatever, uh, however you need to do it to to get your opinion heard. I want to hear it. Um, so. Yeah, before we get out of here, uh, we are going to rewrite Sons of Anarchy one small change to each episode at a time. I'm going to pose a question. You can tell me what the impact would be on the episode and the wider story. For this episode, what if Trammell was the cop that was shot and not his partner in the prison transport scene? Let's see what that does to our story. I'll share the question across social media. You can follow at Belated Binge. It's on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I also mentioned before there is a free Facebook group for listeners of the podcast. I will take the best responses and include them in a future episode of the podcast. That's probably going to look like a kind of just a rundown, uh, like a highlights type episode. Think of it almost like mailbag, but more like... Um, just kind of recapping some of the questions that we've posed and some of the things that people have come up with on social media. And there's been some really funny ones um, and some really cool discussions that have been had uh, on these questions across social media. I haven't decided to this point if that's going to be like a um, like a like a three binge combined episode where it's like uh, I asked this about here, you know, do it in like one episode with sections, Harry Potter questions and, you know, feedback, some highlights from The Office, some highlights from Sons of Anarchy, that kind of stuff. Uh, I haven't decided if I'm going to just kind of do them all in one episode and and let people, you know, uh, navigate to the part of the episode that they are most interested in or if I'll do kind of little mini episodes for each binge. I'm not totally sure, but that's kind of the plan uh, as I'm formulating it um, as of now. So... Cool. If you enjoyed the episode, Rebinging, Sons of Anarchy, give me a follow, leave a review, 
Apple Podcasts, review on whatever other podcast uh, player that you're listening on. I'd also welcome you to check out the other binges that I mentioned, The Office and the Harry Potter books. They're all here on the same feed. You can visit the website, belatedbinge.com, to find links to everything, including Patreon. Um, Yeah, thank you so much for listening. And remember, life is short. Buy the motorcycle. And when you do, wear a helmet. Dress for the slide, not the ride, and make sure you're taking belated binge, Sons of Anarchy, along for that ride.